Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Wittes and to, joining me today is John McCullough. His poems blend observations, personal experiences and social media posts in surprising, often surreal ways. His 2019 collection, Reckless Paper Birds, was shortlisted for a Costa Book Award. On this episode, John invites us to look at stationery and use it in metaphors for life and relationships. Here he is with his poem, Stationery. Stationery. September is going all out to ease us in. The clouded sky is a whiteboard for helpful diagrams. The first cool air as welcome as your hand inside my jeans. Autumn zips round with its orange highlighter and you provide nifty shocks and marshmallows, leaving pornographic post-its that ask me to rendezvous, please, for hot chocolate. I'm the type of man who likes unnecessary displays of manners, who appreciates thank you cards, warning signs, a forest of regretful notices for building works. I admire rows of ginkgos that lose all their foliage in one drop to form a yellow brick road. I'm a desperate lion today, stalking scarecrow. I chew byros, glimpse at my watch too often. I was so afraid of being late to see you once. I turned up six days early. Love is horrific like that. First it's a rabbit, then a duck. Then it's a ravenous one-eyed sock puppet. But the rest is yoghurt adverts. And you fasten my thoughts with the most beautiful paper clips. Even the filthy ones. Like the time I saw a grove of ripening chilli plants become a rainbow of penis trees. Do you wish to continue? Says the voice of a self-service checkout. Yes. Yes, I do. Between the shops. The sea snuggles under its blue leaves. The clock tower waits patiently for Christmas. A familiar figure below it waggling his arms to lure me over. Succeeding. Your skillful face punches a giant hole in the day. And I jump through it. That poem initially came from, I was sitting outside a cafe in uh, central Brighton where um, I live in Hove now. But um, yeah, that's where I've lived for a long time now. And it was autumn and I was shopping for stationery and um, which I often do in September, just before the start of the academic year. And I was just observing, I suppose, uh, making lots of, I like to do a lot of free writing and just in my notebook, I was jotting down uh, what I could see around me and it kind of um, a lot of my poems tend toward love poems the cafe where I was doing this free write happened to be um, the same place where um, I met my uh, partner of uh, 17 years now and it's um, just uh, the two things um, fused together and uh, created the poem it's quite an anxious manic love poem which is very much uh, my personality but yeah um it threads through um autumn and stationary too to kind of provide um quite a few uh, threads that run across the poem yeah 
so how different uh, is it from the uh, initial draft? Um, this one actually isn't as different as some. I mean, um, the first draft of the poem proper was probably a great big block of text. As I say, I often start with free writing. I certainly did with this one. I can uh, remember the exact um, moment of being outside that cafe, not far from the sea. And I have my notebook on a table outside and kind of jotting things down. But um, what I often do as a writer is I have little phrases and images that hang around in my um, notebook for ages. And um, I use social media quite a lot. And I posted about um, penis trees ages and ages ago. Like there was this picture of a penis tree in a medieval manuscript. <laughs> and um, it went in my notebook and waited there patiently as penis trees do for um, many years. And um, the same with uh, that bit about, uh, first it's a rabbit, then a duck, then it's a ravenous one-eyed sock puppet. That again began life as, I think it was a Facebook status, I found um, a picture of um, one of those rabbit duck type things. And um, yeah, again, the thing of the, to me, it looked like a one-eyed sock puppet. Again, it went in the notebook. And so, though the bulk of the poem came from a big free write, um, I managed to weave in um, some uh, imagery that had been knocking around in my notebook for a while. I've often been inspired by writers like Elizabeth Bishop. And when you read Bishop's letters, you can very often spot images that turn up a year later or several years later in a poem. And so the, the language starts off in probably her notebook, then it goes into a letter and she kind of like just has these little phrases or images that live with her for a while before she finds um, the right home for them. And I'm a bit like that as a writer myself. I like, I, I couldn't be without my notebooks. I very often will try out an image in a couple of different ways uh, before it finally finds the right home. Like Bishop, I'm very reliant on imagery, on observation and on things like phrase making. So small bits, Will often come to me um, first and they won't always have the right home. Yeah, yeah, it's a feature of a lot of your poems, you never quite know uh, what's coming next. Uh, the one minute it's you're talking about stationary and the next as a, a penis tree. Yeah, um, so um, what would you say this poem is about? I suppose for me this is fundamentally a love poem. I wanted to read it out because it's my favourite poem in the book because it has a personal meaning to me, which is obviously not going to be apparent to everybody else necessarily. But uh, yeah, this poem's all about my partner and um, where we met. And uh, so yeah, it's a very anxious love poem. One of the differences between this book and my two previous ones is that I really wanted the speakers to express more vulnerability it's a book that's often quite raw quite uh bold quite quite out there and the speakers i think because i started off with bishop especially as one of my big influences i used to edit and polish my poems over many many years and with this book i wrote the whole thing in just over a year about a year maybe a year and a half and i really wanted to capture the energy of being in love in this one and in the other poems i wanted to I wanted to stay close to the leaps and swerves of the actively thinking mind and what it feels like um, to inhabit a body and to feel vulnerable, to feel 
to be experiencing anxiety or mental health problems or to be worried about homophobia or whatever. I wanted to stay close to that kind of like nervous um, energy of the present tense. And that's kind of a defining uh, feature of reckless paper birds. Right, yeah. Um, and what did your partner think of it? I think he liked it. It's funny um, because um, when I write a love poem, it's not necessarily because um, I want it to be for my partner. It's usually because I've got a really good idea for a love poem. So I've written loads over the years. I must have written like um, over 100 love poems. I write quite a lot as well as the poems that appear in my uh, three collections. I write loads and loads of other stuff that never sees the light of day. But he will always give me a very honest, um, constructive opinion. Like he will always like comb through and kind of flag up um, where a verb could be upgraded, for example, or where something doesn't quite uh, make sense. And it reminds me of Bishop's love poems to her partner, uh, Lota de Bejedo Suarez, her Brazilian partner. There's one called Song for the Rainy Season. And um, it pictures this house where they live, Samambaia, in the uh, Petropolis region of Brazil. And there's water throughout the poem trickling down the walls. And uh, she showed this love poem to Lota, whose response was, I designed this house, I'm an architect, and you've made me sound like a really rubbish architect who doesn't know how to stop water from dribbling down the insides of houses. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how, how typical would you say this uh, poem is of your work? I suppose it's fairly typical of Reckless Paper Birds. I've, I change quite a lot between collections. Every collection of mine is a reaction against uh, the one before slightly. There's always a different um, set of governing principles in terms of uh, the forms that are dominant in the book, the voices that are dominant. Um, before Rex Perverse, I did Spacecraft, which was a much more um, quiet book. It was exploring a lot, Spacecraft, space on the page. And so there was lots of highly experimental poems in terms of um, exploiting the white silence by um, layouts, um, unusual columns of text etc and it was all about loss and it was about the loss of my first partner to an age-related illness and Reckless Pair of Birds was partly um, born from a desire to write a book that was very different in tone so I wanted to write lots of poems that had much more manic energy and that weren't kind of quiet and um, exploring space and absence and emptiness as creative forces which was the, which were the governing principles of spacecraft I wanted to um, I always envisage my poems as a collection, so they've got to work together as a team. And um, they're always, I envisage them talking to each other and building up um, an overall effect. There has to be a certain uh, degree of, not unity, but they have to hang together well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, before we move too far from uh, this uh, poem, uh, would you like to explain your writing exercise? The writing exercise was, um, I believe, to write your own poem that's, um, ex that uses a chain of images. I haven't got it actually up in front of me. Can you read it out again? And it's essentially sort of using uh, stationary metaphors. Yeah, it's weird with stationary. Like, I, I've always tried to avoid writing poems about... Um, the act of writing poetry. So this is about as close as I've come, um, the kind of the bric-a-brac 
of um, objects associated with writing. I've um, got in the previous book, Space Club, loads of punctuation poems. And I tried with Reckless Paper Bird to avoid any kind of, um, or I've tried to, as much as I could, avoid too much focus on language because Spacecraft had a lot of poems about obscure, obsolete words, um, the, the origin of various punctuation marks. Whereas, um, yeah, as I say, uh, Reckless Paper Bird had a very different uh, originating principle behind it. Yeah, and uh, I uh, tried writing a, a poem in response to a prompt. Um, yours was a hard act to follow, um, but uh, it was uh, certainly an interesting exercise in terms of thinking about um, a subject, in this case stationary, and how it could be used in a poem. And um, just sort of, uh, well, I guess I started a bit like you, just uh, free writing, and that kind of brought up memories and associations around that subject. And um, anyway, this is uh, what I ended up with. It's called Pencil. How my class two teacher grumbled as she turned the handle of a desk-mounted sharpener, inserting the pencil I had dropped, chewed or pressed too hard on while practicing my neatest handwriting. I only saw the point, clean, sharp, so swiftly restored. Soon I would be left with a wobbly finger of wood, so short it could slip behind your ear and vanish. Oh, it's beautiful. So, thank you. Funnily enough, I've just written a pencil poem uh, myself. Um, I saw online this picture of someone that had carved a pencil lead into uh, the alphabet. Like, oh, yeah, I think I saw that, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was a, an amazing um, achievement. Pencils are really interesting in terms of their vulnerability and their fragility. And um, yeah, I think that you've um, you captured that. And I really like the understatement of the ending with the, the tucking behind the ear, the vanishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, thanks for the inspiration. Um, and I hope that uh, everyone listening will um, turn to their stationery and hopefully uh, get some uh, inspiration from it. How, how would you suggest they kind of go about responding to this prompt? I suppose you might like to think about beginning with a free write about the topic of stationery. Often I begin in quite a, I try to begin in quite a loose creative way. As I say, I love free writing because it throws up so many things that I didn't know were in my unconscious mind. And so when I free write to begin on a set topic, it will just take me to lots of little things that I'd forgotten, like with um, stationery. Um, yeah, about, uh, it's got lots of my favourite um, bits of stationery in it and kind of, as I say, it gathers together some um, fragments that I'd um, come up with beforehand. And yeah, I think that when you have some kind of chain of images pulling together, it can give a backbone to the poem. So you might like to think about how your imagery could work together as a team. So my poem has a number of different types of stationery in the background. Uh, your, you know, your approach might be different. You might focus on one particular object. Um, but yeah, I think it's always good to think about how you can give a poem cohesion through having a central through line. 
yeah, I mean, certainly with me, I'd completely forgotten about my teacher. Uh, it was sort of based on a memory of my teacher grumbling while sharpening pencils. And I'd kind of forgotten that until I started to think about this exercise. So it's really interesting with this kind of thing to see what comes out and just, yeah, see how you can build it up, really. Yeah, I think it's really fun. I mean, I, I guess I only know the way that I begin poems. There are a lot of equally valid ways to begin. But yeah, I often find free writing. I often begin in quite little ways. So it's quite unusual for me to start out with a blank page and um, write the first line, the second line, the third line. I, yeah, as I say, I often begin with images, phrases, free writing, you know, kind of coming at it from a slightly different angle, I think. Okay, um, you've um, said a bit about uh, reckless paper birds, um, which I'm enjoying reading at the moment. But uh, you also mentioned that uh, you've nearly finished your next uh, collection. Nearly the first draft, yes. <laughs> I'm not handing it into my publisher um, until um, the end of the year. But uh, yeah, I've been on a bit of a um, a roll, and I think I don't know what it is. I've spent. I've managed to be more prolific as I've got older, which is slightly unusual, I think. I spent a long time on my first collection, as people often do nowadays, with all the focus on them, um, with all the first collection prizes, etc. But I started writing in 1995, and I didn't do my first collection until 2011, so I'd been around on the poetry scene for a long time doing readings and pamphlets, etc. Then the second book, I took five years, and then Reckless Paper Birds, as I say, I wrote it pretty much in a year and a half. And um, there's a three year gap. But yeah, the actual bulk of it was written in quite a short period of time. And um, yeah, with this um, next book, too, I've written in the space of a year. Um, yeah, a whole uh, manuscript, despite having a whole year off writing poetry before that, I had a whole year of not writing poetry at all. I'm a bit of a binge writer. Once I get going, I just kind of like, they just come to me and I will often do lots in a row. So I always think, don't worry about what other people are doing. Try to just go at your own pace. And, and that's always okay. It's always okay to, you don't have to define yourself um, value-wise by um, how productive you are. We're all our own people. We're all going at our own pace, doing the best we can. And sometimes you can't write. So yeah, I will sometimes have a whole year when I write nothing. And it can be very stressful at the time. But yeah, the bigger picture, the longer game is that there are different um, times in my life when I'm you know, more creative or less creative. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, an important thing to bear in mind. And uh, do you think the sort of greater uh, speed that you're producing work now is down to more confidence or experience or something else? I'm not sure, really. I think it's partly because of the shift in practice that I had in that, as I say, with my earlier work, I was editing and polishing everything over many years. Whereas I think trying to tap into um, energy and the active leaps of the thinking mind, there's something about that that enables me to write more. And not everything I write, obviously, is good enough to go in a book. So Though I've written a manuscript's worth of poems, I've also written <laughs> loads, loads more that, you know, that were dead ends. But often 
I have to go there. I have to, um, I'll have to have many bites at the cherry before I get a poem that's good enough to put in the manuscript. So I very, especially if I'm exploring new territory. So like with Rickless Paper Birds, even though I wrote the whole of it in a year and a half, uh, there were loads and loads of other poems that were kind of similar, but yeah, which weren't quite right. And as I say, um, Rickless Paper Birds came about from a really different approach to trying to tap in to um, my own vulnerability. And this was the first book of mine where there are no uh, historical poems. My first collection, The Frost Bears, had a lot of stuff set in the 19th century and in World War II. And uh, Spacecraft II uh, began as um, the first poem in that book about the invention of the exclamation mark in the medieval period. And there's lots of stuff about the 90s and my first partner then. Whereas with Rex Pepper Birds, I really wanted to have everything for the first time um, emerging from present day Brighton. And again, that's another element that gives the book its own identity. It gives it a cohesion. There are things that the poems have in common. So what kind of angle are you going for with the new poems? The new poems, I suppose I am sticking with vulnerability and I'm homing in um, quite a lot on anxiety and on mental health. One of the strange things about the times we're living in at the moment with the coronavirus pandemic is that quite a lot of people who hasn't previously experienced anxiety to a very extreme degree um, have been um, going through it, just um, which is kind of inevitable when you're spending long periods of time um, in isolation and not having your regular routines, not seeing your um, regular friends. So um, the book's not about, uh, centrally about um, coronavirus. It was begun um, a long time before that, um, but it does touch on a lot of themes to do with anxiety, both my own, so it's quite confessional, the new book, but I also explore um, social anxieties. So I write quite a lot about other people. I've always liked to have poems that feature multiple characters or people that I know or, yeah, I only find myself so interesting, I think. And so the new book too has lots of kind of exploration of um, social things connected to anxiety as well as some um, personal things about my own mental health and some personal things about um, people I know who've um, gone through um, their own challenges. Yeah, yeah. Reckless Paper Birds has done really well. Uh, Costa Book Awards uh, shortlisted. Uh, Do you feel under much pressure to sort of follow up that success? I suppose to a degree. I suppose I try not to think about things like that too much. One of the weird things about being a writer is that the book that comes out is always something that you're almost <laughs> over with in your head. Like for me, I finished writing Reckless Paper Birds in 2018, the end of 2018. And then it came out in May 2019. And then it was shortlisted for the Costa at the very end of 2019. And um, yes, there are still, there's, yeah, I can't talk about it, but there's something happening next week um, related to Reckless Paper Birds as well. But in my head, as I say, I'm inhabiting this new um, collection. And so, yeah, I think as long as I'm happy as a writer and I'm pushing myself, then I'm content. And so even if, I mean, I I do write to be read. I don't write for self-expression. I have no interest in writing things that are primarily cathartic. I write to entertain and to move outside readers. But in order to get going, I always have to feel I'm 
doing something fundamentally new, I get energized and inspired by experimentation, by trying to write a book that has that's aiming to do something radically different to what I've done before. I really like reinvention, like the musicians I like are often people um, like uh, David Bowie, Kate Bush, Lady Gaga, musicians who have kind of a new image with each album, a new set of, you know, clobber. That's very much me. And as long as I'm happy um, where I am as an artist, as well as, as long as I'm alive and creating and doing new things, then I'm happy. I know that there's always pressure, I think, for uh, writers to reproduce what's sold well or what's been shortlisted for prizes. And there are many poets that um, have made wonderful careers who do kind of like, you know, there's certain structures that they repeat um, very, very regularly or certain themes that they circle all the time. Um, and that's an equally valid way to be a writer. It's just not something that I'm able to do myself. I always have to have this kind of manic creative approach. I always want to be, yeah, trying to do things which are very new for me and which are surprising for me. I think so I'm relying on electricity and on energy. I feel that uh, it has to be, the only way that I can get that is things which excite me and which are new for me. Yeah, and um, what about the reaction your work has received? Has that ever been uh, surprising or unexpected to you? Um, it's always unexpected. Yeah, you just kind of send it out into the world and you have no idea how it's going to do. Obviously, there's always loads of other factors like the book's distribution, like with Books of Paper Birds, I think it really helped that it was in all of the Waterstones and Foils and um, it was kind of like, um, it seemed to be uh, a hit straight away really quickly, whereas um, with my two previous books, they were both kind of sleepers and that they kind of had more attention as time went on. Whereas with Books of Paper Birds, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was very uh, strange that people kept on, um, yeah, talking about it and it was, Obviously lovely that it's had um, as wide a readership as it's had. I, I do write uh, for other people rather than for myself. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's been a wonderful experience. I think often when poets have done a few collections, they tempted to kind of like um, move over into um, a higher selling medium like the novel or nonfiction prose. And, um, and I was contemplating that, like I think about a year ago, I'd started work on a novel and then I was so bowled over by, um, yeah, the reception for Reckless Paper Birds. I've kind of like put that on the back burner and I am staying with, yeah, poetry. As I say, I've been uh, writing this uh, fourth book of poems, which, yeah, I wasn't particularly expecting that I would do. Ah, brilliant. Do, do you have another poem you'd like to share? Yeah, yeah. So the next poem that I'm going to share is one which is called Soulcraft, and it's one of the more uh, spiritual poems in the book. When I started out writing, I very often, um, as I tell my students, was obsessed with, you know, showing, not telling. And it is a good um, principle for beginners because pretty much all my creative writing students in their first drafts, they do explain too much. And um, so you have to try to cut down the um, abstract nouns in particular, and you try to cut out things about my heart, my soul, uh, my pain, my grief, etc. 
Um, so I hadn't used the word soul in a poem before, I think this one. And a lot of this book was just trying to think about what have I excluded from my poems and what would it be like if I tried to um, bring back some of the things that I've consciously excluded. And so with this poem, I really wanted, because I've always felt like that I do have a soul. And, and when I've certainly when I've been at my most ill, I remember one time um, being at home, I'd had this kind of burnout in the middle of my PhD and I had to be uh, looked after for a while. And um, this phrase came into my head that um, I wrote down at the time, uh, there is a light at the centre of my body and um, it really stuck with me and I think that it's something that is an intrinsic part of the way uh, I see the world and so uh, writing this kind of um, helped me to explore both spiritual matters but also mental health too. It's one of the first poems I wrote for the book where I was really kind of confronting uh, my own uh, mental health issues uh, head on. Soulcraft. It's true, there is a light at the centre of my body. If I could, I would lift aside a curtain of this flesh and demonstrate. But for now, it is my private neon. It is closest to the air at certain moments, like when buttercups repair a morning's jagged edge. Other times, a flock of days descends and my soul flickers, goes to ground. Without light, I'm all membrane. Each part becomes a gate. I pour across each margin, and nothing has enough hands to catch me. My teeth knocking so fast, I daren't hold any piece of myself near in case I start a banquet. I'm only eased by accident. On a drenched path, I pick up snails and transport them to safer earth, then feel a stirring. I watch as rain streams from locked back elms, my face teeming with water and, hello stranger, my soul glides to my surface like it too belongs there, like a bright fish rising to feed. That was John McCullough with another wonderful poem and sound advice on writing. Do check out his collection Reckless Paper Birds, published by Penned in the Margin. You can find a link to that on the website poetrynonstop.com. You can also find details of John's poetry prompt on stationery. If you can, when this podcast is finished, grab a notebook and spend 10 minutes or so writing ideas for a poem, even if it's just a list of different types of stationery. I hope you find some inspiration and I'd love to read and share your poems. You can email poetrynonstop at gmail.com or check the website. I'll leave you with John's stationery poem once again. Until next time, thank you for listening and keep writing. Stationary. September is going all out to ease us in. The clouded sky is a whiteboard for helpful diagrams. The first cool air as welcome as your hand inside my jeans. Autumn zips round with its orange highlighter 
and you provide nifty shocks and marshmallows, leaving pornographic post-its that ask me to rendezvous, please, for hot chocolate. I'm the type of man who likes unnecessary displays of manners, who appreciates thank you cards, warning signs, a forest of regretful notices for building works. I admire rows of ginkgos that lose all their foliage in one drop to form a yellow brick road. I am a desperate lion today, stalking scarecrow. I chew byros, glimpse at my watch too often. I was so afraid of being late to see you once. I turned up six days early. Love is horrific like that. First it's a rabbit, then a duck. Then it's a ravenous one-eyed sock puppet. But the rest is yogurt adverts. And you fasten my thoughts with the most beautiful paper clips. Even the filthy ones. Like the time I saw a grove of ripening chili plants become a rainbow of penis trees. Do you wish to continue? Says the voice of a self-service checkout. Yes. Yes, I do. Between the shops. The sea snuggles under its blue leaves. The clock tower waits patiently for Christmas. A familiar figure below it waggling his arms to lure me over. Succeeding. Your skillful face punches a giant hole in the day. And I jump through it.